This video is sponsored by Jerry's Artorama. Jerry's Artorama Online has been serving artists for over 50 years, providing only the best quality art supplies. Jerry's Artorama has premier lines that sell all over the world and are used by millions of artists and professionals worldwide for amazing results. In addition to over 65,000 fine art supplies, choose from over 4,000 free art lessons, oil painting, drawing, acrylics, watercolors, mixed media, and the largest selection of new supplies professionally evaluated and created by artists for artists. Jerry's Artorama has been empowering artists since 1968. We provide reliability, better art supplies, great prices, and exceptional service. The quality of your art matters to us. Hello everyone, welcome to part three of the drawing curriculum. Today we will be talking about drawing prompts. If you want to nerd out about art, our prof has everything you need from tutorials to critiques to the community of fellow art nerds. Clara, how about you get us started? Yeah, this is part of a series of curriculums that we have for self-taught artists. We have them in business and painting and comics and several other topics as well. Part one of the drawing curriculum was drawing supplies. Part two of the drawing curriculum was drawing techniques. And today we're going to be talking about drawing prompts. Now, Kat, why do you think prompts are helpful for artists? Because I think sometimes people look at a prompt and they think about it as, oh, homework, and it's going to stifle my creativity, and I don't want to be told what to do. Do. That's one way to look at it, but prompts can be very, very helpful and inspiring. Right. Prompts can be a launch pad, a beginning for you. If you're going through your artistic life with zero prompts whatsoever and you're coming up with ideas by yourself to draw every single time, you're going to fall into a lot of tropes that you don't realize are tropes. But prompts will help you think outside of the box. They will give you sort of like a jungle gym for you to play in or around. And they're really an opportunity for experimentation. Tell us in the chat, who here likes having art prompts? Who here doesn't? Although it's also challenging because Kat, I've definitely seen prompts that pretty much design the results for the students. And it's hard to write a good art prompt because I have definitely written some terrible prompts that bombed in my classes. <laughs> like you told me that you had some prompts in art school that were just like super vague and you just don't know what to do with that, right? Right. When you get a prompt that vague, it's almost not having a like not having a prompt at all. You don't know where to begin. The point of a prompt is just to find a single point for you to latch onto. And once you latch onto the point to expand. And writing that very, very succinct prompt is a really difficult process, but that's why we have this video. We have a bunch of prompts for you guys to try out. And what we've done is we've categorized the prompts because prompts serve different purposes. I think about prompts as exercising different types of muscles. For example, warm-up prompts are really terrific because I just know when I sit down to draw the first 20 minutes, it's sort of useless because I'm just waking up and trying to get back into things. So this is a really simple prompt where I say to somebody, just make horizontal and vertical lines and try to make them as different from each other as possible. 
sometimes people look at this prompt and they go, oh, I feel like a two-year-old. But this is actually very helpful. Why do you think that is, Kat? Well, before you play a sport, you want to warm up a little bit. You don't just go straight into a how many meter, a hundred meter dash or something. You got to stretch, you got to warm up, you got to get a little bit of cardio going so that your body is amped up for that sport. It's the same thing for art. When you're drawing, you're going to be really stiff at first. You're not going to come out with like the Mona Lisa first stroke. <laughs> Mona Lisa, sorry for that really blatant reference. But anyways, with these line prompts, you can just let loose and not think for a little bit. And then you'll be able to produce a more natural artwork. So Felicia is saying, I haven't used prompts. What are prompts? So usually it's a assignment that you're given in art school. So for example, I might say for this prompt, throw a couple of ink blots on the page and react to that draw something from that ink blot. Some prompts are more complicated and involved. I learned the hard way teaching at RISD that those walls of text that teachers write to figure out a prompt, don't do it. The students don't read it. And so mm -hmm. my prompts got shorter and shorter so that by the time I left RISD, I think my longest prompts were like, two lines because I knew students were not going to read it. But I like the warm-up prompts because you don't have to think too hard. I think sometimes it can feel overwhelming and just the starting part can be so critical. So let's pretend, Kat, we've warmed up. We're ready to go. What about gesture drawing prompts? Why are these sometimes helpful? Ooh, gesture drawing prompts get you to draw really fast and sort of make you turn off your brain and not think so hard because once you start thinking too hard you're going to kind of inhibit your own expectations because you think oh I have to get this perfectly I have to get the anatomy correct I have to get the silhouette just right but then when you're doing gesture drawings of things especially of things that are moving suddenly you can just like turn off and start drawing whatever is in front of you and I think going into that specific mood requires some sort of exercise such as gesture drawing. Cheska says, I really like art prompts. It gives me lots of ideas, but the monthly prompt doesn't give me enough time because I work slow. Yeah, those are really popular online, the monthly challenges like Inktober. But the thing is, a prompt doesn't have to fit within a time period. I mean, there are some of these prompts, you could do them in 10 minutes. There are other prompts that we're going to show you towards the end that are very involved and take hours and hours to create. So the point that we're trying to show you here is that there are different kinds of prompts for different skills. And I think the most important thing is the exposure to all those different types of prompts. Because sketching a horse in two minutes, that's hard. But that's not the same thing as a prompt where you have to really engage with the subject matter. Like these are very skill-based prompts, which sometimes is a relief to do, right, Kat? <laughs> Right. I mean, I find myself falling back into that relief every time we do an art along. And every time it's like a skill based art along, I'm like, oh, cool. I can fall back on this just drawing, not think too hard. Even if this drawing turns out badly, it's okay. It's not a very involved piece anyways. But the point is I did it and I started and I tried it. I think about these as push-ups. You don't have to think about ooh the strategy of how the soccer field works. You just are trying to get stronger. And a lot of that has to do with these quick drawings that ultimately are not the finished piece. 
Okay, let's dig into some harder skills, but that also, I think, require a lot of those art muscles. So linear perspective prompts. Now, I got strong ideas about linear perspective. You can go watch my lectures on linear perspective. But the one way of learning linear perspective that I really think people do not teach enough is drawing on site. I, I just cannot believe that 99% of the time when students are learning linear perspective, it's with rulers and diagrams. But Kat, your class that you were in of mine at RISD, we went to the materials lab and I just made you guys sit in there and there were all these shelves and I said, okay, draw on site. Why was that helpful to have an on site prompt? Because we live in a world where one point perspective exists <laughs> and it was so much more fun to contextualize one point perspective in our everyday lives. If we're going to just draw from rulers and graphs or whatever in a room, that's just so pointless to me and also so methodical and almost very cold in comparison when I could just go outside and be like, hey, this library with its shelves is one point perspective. I could draw that. I could draw this story and learn about the fundamentals of perspective while I'm at it. And the thing is, a lot of these prompts, they're not always that fun. <laughs> you know, like I'm sure, Kat, when I took your class to do these sketches, there had to be a bunch of people like, oh, I don't want to do this. Have you ever had that reaction to a prompt and then later thought, oh, that actually was useful? Oh, absolutely. I'm kind of a lazy person. So anytime somebody tells me to do work, I'm like, I don't want to do it. But I think that's the point of having warm-up drawings and gesture drawings and linear perspective prompts is to help you get started, get you in the mood. And then once you start to experience it, you realize it is fun. It's sort of like trying new foods, right? <laughs> well, and Kat, do you have any tips? Let's say somebody gets a prompt, they're in a class, and they don't like it at all. And they're like, oh, I have no interest in this. This is not applicable to my interest. What do you do? Do you just get it done just to get it done? Or is there a way to find motivation within a prompt that maybe you don't like that much? My method for this is to force the prompt to do what I want. And so I see the prompt as a challenge and I see myself as the challenger. <laughs> and so whenever I, <laughs> when I get a frustrating, maybe limiting prompt, I just think of it as a box. And sometimes I have to work within that box and sometimes I have to work outside of it and then stuff it back into the box. And I just see it as a challenge. I find it like it's an adventure and maybe changing your mindset and framing it that way could help other people when it comes to frustrating prompts. Well, cause you will hear very often in school, students say, oh, I hated that prompt as an excuse that, oh, the prompt is the reason why I can't make something. But if you think about it, a lot of the professional world is just a series of prompts. I mean, isn't that basically what being a freelance editorial illustrator is, is getting a prompt and being asked to do it. And so there is a lot of correlation between a prompt in school and also a job. So let's talk about interior and exterior space prompts. This is yours, Kat, from many years ago. And the assignment I gave everybody was to do a drawing based on your living space. So tell us how you 
went about doing this? I wanted to create a kind of mood in the living space that I inhabited. And the mood I settled on was that it's super empty. It's a very new apartment. I hadn't fully moved in. So that was my concept for the piece. So you can think, oh, drawing my living space, that's so drab. I don't want to do it. That sounds like such an annoying prompt. But if you kind of think of it in an angle that interests you, then maybe you could achieve something interesting with this prompt. So in my case, I wanted to achieve that emptiness, <laughs> the empty mood in this piece. And that's what drove me to finish this piece. Yeah, so sometimes you have to find your own motivation. You can't expect other people to determine that for you. And FF says, what size would you recommend for these drawings? Well, I was a hard ass at RISD. And so I would make students do gigantic drawings. Like that drawing we just looked at, Kat, I think it was at least three feet tall. So these are not small drawings that you're all looking at, but everybody's in a different situation. Maybe you don't have a lot of space at home. It's okay to work at whatever scale you want. But one of the reasons that I did make students work so big is because once you've made a four foot tall drawing, Nothing scares you anymore. Was that the case for you, Kat? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of people limit themselves with smaller drawings because they're easily portable. They're so much more convenient. But you should not work within the confines of convenience. You should work with all the tools and knowledge that you have. And sometimes that means you have to work bigger so that you can expand your horizons. And this is actually the opposite of what we just talked about, which was, this is a sort of convenient prompt. This is a window drawing. So basically you find a window and you try to show atmospheric perspective, which is depth in the window space. So it feels like a limited prompt because it's like, oh, you got to do a window, but then you have to find something interesting in that window to make that happen. So this feels like a limited prompt because we're saying find a window. But within this window, what did the student create, Kat? The world of Providence, Rhode Island, because I recognize <laughs> this building. <laughs> but look, there are different layers. to th This is a city. This is an urban landscape in the foreground. You have cars, you have shrubbery, and then middle ground, you have this weird river, bridge, road thing. And in the background, you have buildings. There is so much to tell within this space already. FF says, I want to make larger drawings too, but I don't know where to find large paper and a large flat surface to work on. You know what I always had students buy was a sheet of foam board because a lot of the drawing boards, they're just huge and bulky and expensive. And the foam board, it's very light. It's relatively inexpensive. And then for paper, I would just buy a roll of paper because then I can cut it to whatever size I want. You tape it to the foam board and that's a great way to do it. And usually that is fairly doable even in a smaller home space. Now, this is a prompt that's along the same lines, okay? It's about a space. In this case, it's an interior with a window. So it sort of combines a lot of the elements of what we saw before. But there's a little bit more of a narrative tacked onto this prompt. And so this prompt is to make a drawing of a space that you remember. So it can't be something that you can like revisit today. It has to be a space that you no longer have access to. 
So Kat, this is your response. Can you tell us how you responded to the prompt? I tried to think of good memories because that's the kind of thing I wanted to illustrate. And one good memory I had was my grandparents' apartment. And then I had to find an angle from which I wanted to remember the narrative of my grandparents' apartment. So I actually came up with a bunch of ideas and brought them into Crit for Clara's class. And people sort of narrowed it down to this particular memory, which is when my whole family, we were in a room in my grandparents' apartment and it was stifling, like it was stifling hot. <laughs> It was really, really hot. And my father woke up and was like, oh my gosh, there's no running, there's no air flow in this space. And so he immediately got up and opened the window and started drinking in the air from the night. And I thought that was such a poetic moment that I wanted to actually illustrate it. And people in Crit also agreed this was the most memorable memory. <laughs> and that's the story of how I made this piece. And so you'll see that as we go along, the prompts get more complicated because the thing is, this is an image. You still had to deal with all the formal stuff. You still had to think about light and about the architecture and about the cityscape. None of that went away, but now we put on top of that, you exploring a personal narrative. And so that's what a lot of prompts do is that they get you to balance different skills and different ideas. Like this is the same prompt Clara Ancaza, who actually was in Kat's class and has been here on Art Prof for a couple of live streams, she did this wonderful drawing about being in her grandfather's art studio as a child and all of the ceramic dishes and the paintings that were on the wall. And so her memory is so specific to her and has a very different look to Kat's, but it was very distinctive because it was so much about her life experience. Let's talk about composition prompts. I think Kat, composition is an invisible skill. I think a lot of people don't think about it or aren't even aware of it, but it is fundamental to drawing. And these are prompts that push people to think about composition. So in some ways you can design a prompt where people can't not address composition. Like you sort of force them into it. So this is one where I say to students, make a composition out of bones and you can do it however you want. You could have one bone and repeat it 50 times. You could take six bones and put one on top of each other. And it doesn't have to be a still life. Like you can just sort of pull them from multiple references, throw them together. So why do you think Kat, this would get people to do composition as opposed if I said, go draw a skeleton? Mm. Well, bones you can manipulate. You can, singular bones you can manipulate. You can create different shapes, create different compositions. And so that's what makes them such a great tool for the composition prompt. It's also a little tricky though, because bones can be repeated often. There are a lot of little pieces sometimes and people can get lost in how many objects there are. So it forces people to think of individual multiple objects, but also think of them as large shapes that they can move across the paper and thus create a compelling composition. And here's another one that is about objects and composition, but it is very personal, but you don't have to think very hard. So what I say to people is take the bag that you carry. It's a purse or a backpack, whatever. Take that bag and empty it. Take out everything in there and make a drawing about the bag with the items in it. Now, this is a fairly, quote, easy prompt. You don't have to think that hard, but why does this end up revealing 
stuff about the person, Kat, in the process. Because those are very personal objects. Those are things that you put into your bag that you carry with you everywhere. And and inevitably, every bag will be different for each person. So you end up learning a lot about the person. Yeah, and I find this to be a really nice introductory lesson because in the beginning of a drawing class, you don't know each other very well. And inevitably, people just end up explaining what the objects are and why they carry this thing. And it's just a nice way to get to know each other. <laughs> now, this one is about texture. And contrary to the bag prompt, this is very open-ended. And yeah, it is sort of specific too. Can you explain that, Kat? Because sometimes it confuses people because they're like, well, it's so specific. You want texture, but what do I draw? And I'm like, anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's one that this prompt veers on something extremely technical like you have to render different surfaces versus it's also quite abstract like you can render different surfaces but on whatever kind of object you want or whatever composition you want so at one hand it is very open ended on another hand it is very fundamental so for textures i think that the key thing here is that you need to show a texture that is compared to something else perhaps, or maybe wrapped around a shape that helps show what sort of material it is. So at one hand, it is restricting, but on another hand, it is very freeing. <laughs> this is the kind of prompt the texture prompt is. <laughs> Tammy is asking, Kat, what did you use for reference from remembering the grandparents' apartment drawing is beautiful? Thank you, Tammy. I had to make it up, but everything was based on something very realistic. So if we go back to the image, there is a window, there's a cityscape, there's a calendar, and there are bed sheets, right? So obviously I can't remember the exact piece in my grandparents' apartment, but I can assemble a bunch of other things that resemble my grandparents' apartment. I'm looking at this piece now and I'm like, ah, oh, that window is so geometric and simple. I could have done a better job on that one. <laughs> but if you look, there's my dad sitting there with his white t-shirt. There's my mother, my brother and I sleeping in the foreground. Like I actually had people lie down in a bed and took pictures of them as reference. And then I sort of Frankenstein monstered it all together into one drawing. Kat has a very involved reference photo process that I encourage you all to take a look at in our reference photo stream. Now, this is also a fairly directed prompt. It's called repeated object composition. So I say to people, okay, get an object that has to be in real life. It can't be a photo of it. And so what ends up happening, everybody goes to Whole Foods and buys like a potato because <laughs> it's like easy to do and they're sort of organic looking. And I say, you have to repeat it at least 10 times and you can do it more if you want, but you have to think about the different points of view, look at the object from above, look at it from below and work with the overlap and the composition. How do you think this works somebody's composition skills, Kat? I think it helps people see different points of view more easily. When you have the same object, it would be very boring to just repeat it the same way over and over again. Inevitably, you're going to take this object and you're going to turn it on its side. You're going to shine a different light on it. You're going to do a lot of experimental things that will change how you see. And that is the point of this prompt. I mean, it's so funny, but this is pasta shells. 
and it ended up looking like cocoon maggot object. I don't know. It's like this artist really transformed the macaroni into something different. And so sometimes people think, oh, I have to draw 10 apples. Like, yeah, you can do that, but there's a lot of wiggle room in props. I think oftentimes students will say to me, oh, can I do that? I'm like, did I tell you you couldn't? And so sometimes I'll egg students on to see what they can, quote, get away with in the prompts. <laughs> All right. This is a whole bunch of prompts about lighting. So why is light an important feature to really learn about in drawing? Light helps you see the object well and illuminate a space, but also it can tell a story in itself. What kind of light? Natural light, artificial light, interior light, exterior light? And even if it is exterior light, is it daylight or night? All depending on the light, it can really change what the story has to say. And a lot of this, I think, would you isolate a specific skill like lighting? people start to notice nuances in lighting that maybe they weren't paying attention to before because, oh, you're busy drawing a tree, you're busy drawing this. But when you say to people, hey, the whole point of this prompt is to think about lighting, then they start really paying attention. And so that's where I found these prompts to be so helpful because oftentimes people don't think about lighting. And so the second you tell them, hey, you got to do a prompt, that's about cast shadows specifically, then they have to like laser focus. Have you seen that in your experience, Kat? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, one example I can give that isn't light and shadow, but involves comics is just sound. <laughs> A lot of people don't realize that sound and text is such an integral part of comics. I'm like, you read comics, you're literally looking at the words every single page and people still forget that the words are there and the words can be used as an element of the story. And so these prompts with the light and the shadow, they get you to really see and consider these super important elements. FF is asking, how important is it to do these prompts from life? I would say anytime you can draw from life, you should. Now in this particular scene, this scene is not going to last very long because it's direct sunlight. That sunlight is going to change and move throughout the day. So in this case, that's not going to work very well. But in other cases, like the student that was drawing the macaroni, that's easy. Just get some macaroni and try it. And so I just would ask yourself, are you using a photo because you have to or because you don't want to be bothered to look at an apple in real life? People are really lazy about it. Have you seen that yet? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, if you give the people opportunity to be lazy, people are just going to be lazy. So I think for some of these prompts, you really have to require yourself, hey, I should go out and draw this in plein air. Like impose that on yourself. You're going to thank yourself later. You're going to get a much better drawing. That said, though, there are a lot of things you can't do if you draw exclusively from life. And for me, the next best thing is take your own photo. So this is a prompt on a self-portrait because students have done so many self-portraits. I just found you have to give any self-portrait prompt. It's got to have a little spice. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a prompt. I call it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And basically 
they have to think about two sides of their personality that are opposite. And so it's a diptych with these two portraits. And you can see a lot of the images. I mean, the image on the right, that student can't draw that from life because of the point of view. And so, yeah, there are times. But it just surprises me, Kat, that people are just looking for an excuse to not draw from life. And I'm like, dude, you guys are missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it makes people nervous. Like when you draw from life, there is it, it. There is a chance that the elements might change, the lighting might change, you might move, whatever. It's not still like a photograph, and that makes people nervous. But why do we ask people to do gesture drawings? Why do we ask people to do plein air drawings? Why do we ask people to go out and draw one point perspective? It's to draw from life, and ultimately, your drawings will become more lively because of it. Felicia says, how much time should you spend drawing a day? I think whatever works for you, because Kat, I've sort of had it with these, here's why you need to draw every day for your entire life to become an artist. I'm like, it's such a load of crap. Who does that? I don't know anybody who draws every day. Do you? I don't think I've drawn in the past week. Like, and I'm a professional artist. <laughs> so just do you, you do you. <laughs> I think sometimes that unrealistic goal, it hinders you more than living your life. So just put aside those goals. I know people like doing those monthly challenges like Inktober, but that's a month, you know, like that ends. I, I can't keep up. I I've gone months without drawing. Like that is not an exaggeration. <laughs> so don't worry about it at all. <laughs> now, some of these prompts are fairly technical, like this is a stream I did recently where I draw a skull inside of a portrait. And sometimes, Kat, what happens with this prompt is people get so, they're like, oh, it's not the cheek, but I'm like, guys, it's not the point. And so sometimes people misread the purpose of the prompt. Like we were just looking at this master copy prompt. Sometimes people do this prompt and they're like, but it doesn't look. And I'm like, that's not the point. And so I think it's helpful when you get these prompts ask yourself, what's the point of it? Because maybe mm -hmm. there's another objective in there that you haven't thought about. Right. Maybe there's an objective in the prompt that you haven't thought about, or maybe there is another angle in which you could look at it and make it more interesting to yourself that you haven't thought about either. And sometimes that doesn't reveal itself until after you're done with the prompt. And that's mm -hmm. fine. I don't think any of this has to be super straightforward. And this is a prompt I give to draw a skeleton inside a figure, and it's endlessly flawed. There's nothing <laughs> accurate about this, but the objective here is not make an amazing drawing to impress your friends. The point of this prompt is to say, hey, start to look at connections. Start to say, where is that bone? Oh, it's next to this part of the muscle. And oh, I can see where this knuckle lines up. That, that's all that's important. It's not about make a great drawing because not every prompt is about that. Don't you think some prompts are just about the experience? Absolutely. There's a saying that if you're learning a language before you achieve fluency, you have to achieve proficiency. And proficiency is what we're aiming for in these prompts. It's just, can you do it? Can you do something like it? Are you going to see more? Are you going to learn more? That's what the prompts are. And some prompts you will not be able to do on your own. Most of you will not be able to do this one because I set this up 
in a RISD classroom. <laughs> we had models posing. This is very complicated, but I do like showing it so that if you see an opportunity to do something similar or just even to say, oh, wow, I never thought about light on a figure in space. And so you don't have to do every prompt here. Some of you may look at that anatomy prompt and go, oh, that gives me a headache. I'm like, do you want to be a figurative artist? No, well then don't do it. You know, like not every one of these prompts is going to help you. You have to think about mm -hmm. what your actual needs are as an artist. So let's talk about format because sometimes people think, oh, the more open-ended the prompt, the easier and more fun it's going to be. But actually, this is a prompt I give where I say, okay, it's a drawing, but it cannot be a rectangle. It's got to be some weird shape. And beyond that, do whatever you want. And a lot of students are like, oh, yes, finally, I can draw whatever I want. He's not telling me what to do. <laughs> Guess what happens? People don't know where to start. <laughs> they struggle so much when I give these open-ended prompts. People go, well, I, I don't know. And I'm like, well, go figure it out. And, and I do that on purpose. That's not an accident that I say, go do whatever you want, because you have to learn how to self-motivate. Right. Oh, Clara, you're so sneaky. You're so tricky. <laughs> <laughs> then again, I mean, this does get people to explore things that they maybe have never done. I mean, how many people here in the chat have done a drawing that was not that standard rectangle or square shape? It's not actually that common. And so sometimes just really simple format can lead people in a different direction or even this. Like this one throws people for a loop because it's not a weirdo shape, but it's also sort of a rectangle, but it's like a really long, wide or very tall rectangle. Why do you think this messes with people? <laughs> <laughs> because nobody's ever considered doing art in this format. Although it's surprising because we do come across this format often with our phones and with our computers, the scroll format, but no one's ever thought, hey, I could do something like that. And just presenting people with the opportunity of going like, maybe you should try it out. <laughs> Already throws people in for a loop. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here are content driven prompts. And I would say out of all the prompts, these are the really challenging ones that take forever to make because they're a challenge, not just technically speaking, but ambition wise and story wise, they're just a lot more challenging. So this is actually a hilarious prompt. I call it confession. People have to write one sentence. It's a confession. And then they have to embed the text somewhere in the image. So if you look at the text, what this says is I'm secretly in love with my RA. And so she made this drawing about this crush that she had on her RA. And you get some great stories. Like Kat, tell people about this prompt, which was to create a scene of the crime. This was your charcoal drawing. I chose the crime of, um, what is it? Abuse within a relationship. And I was a little bit off put with this prompt because I thought, oh man, I don't want to do anything too bloody, too gory, to en anything like that. Because a lot of people think, oh, crime, I can do a thriller scene. I can do a gory scene. And that wasn't really my cup of tea, but I did want to show something that 
was violent that isn't talked about or seen a lot. And a lot of this crime is mental and emotional, but there are still physical evidences I could draw out in this illustration to, de to depict a crime. And these are all objects that I can find within my own living space. So I had some good references. And then sometimes they're really mysterious prompts. Like this is a hard one for a lot of people. I called it the long wait. So it's some scene that deals with people waiting. So in this situation, these are performers backstage and they're waiting to go onto the stage. And Kat went so epic with <laughs> this drawing. <laughs> Tell people what is going on here in relation to the prompt of waiting. Oh man, okay, just conceptually wise, like this piece was such a roller coaster for me, but just conceptually wise, I wanted to show multiple levels of waiting. So first you can see a lot of women here on a work day painting propaganda posters. You see the woman on the left, clearly dejected. It seems like she's waiting for the work day to end, right? But on another level you can think, oh, maybe these people are waiting for the war to end. But then if you look at the whole scene and notice that they are all women, there's another level of waiting, which is the women are waiting for the men to come back home. Yeah. And I mean, you would never think you could get that much out of a single prompt, those multiple layers of a story. But I mean, that's how deep you can dig into some of these prompts. Like this is one a student made about waiting for her parents to come home at night and how she often was waiting to eat dinner because they weren't at home. And so you can take it in a lot of different directions. This is a really funny prompt. It's called fly on the wall. So I say to the students, pretend you're a fly on the wall somewhere. And what are you seeing? So what's going on here, Kat? <laughs> well, <laughs> a lot of people don't show kitchens in restaurants or like the cafeteria where people prepare food for students. And I'm always a little bit unnerved by the thought of someone I don't know preparing my food because I'm like, did they wash the vegetables? Did they wash their hands? Is it sanitary? Is it clean? And so I decided to do a fly on the wall piece where the fly is viewing a cafeteria kitchen. And the goal here is to see how many things are wrong in this kitchen. So there's a lot of bunch of wrong gross things happening in this kitchen let's see if you you guys can catch all the mistakes <laughs> <laughs> this was one of illegal gambling looking from above and this is one of my favorite projects that i used to do which was to ask students to find a statistic and then make a drawing based on that statistic. Now, they didn't have to like write out numbers or anything like that. It just was inspired by the statistics. So this is a drawing that's about how many people believe in the afterlife. And it, it's so beautiful and ethereal. I mean, you think about it, statistic, it doesn't sound that exciting, but it's like that statistic was the launch pad for this image. And that's really what a good prompt should do is that it gets you started, but it doesn't tell you where to end up. I think what's also interesting about statistic is that normally when people see statistics, they see numbers, they see facts, they see 
digits. But when you tell people make a drawing about a statistic, suddenly it becomes much more of a narrative. There's probably more of a human narrative to that statistic prompt. So it's very transformative. Clara, you're so good at writing prompts. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I've written so many bad ones. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you would not believe the number of times I've had prompts just bomb. And it, it really is an art form, like learning how to find a prompt, but not just that, how to deliver the prompt. Like sometimes on purpose, I say almost nothing. I'm just like, okay, here it is, go do it. And then other times I'm very specific. Like I say, okay, step one, step two, do this, do this. And so I've had a lot of experiences really testing a lot of different formats and reactions. And actually this is one of my favorite projects. It's called Routine. And when I first assigned it, I just thought, oh, this will be interesting because it has that like repetitive event that's happening over and over again. And this prompt got, oh my God, so heavy. I mean, some of the pieces were just very moving. And so prompts surprise you. Like sometimes you assign one, you don't think it's that exciting. And then people really do amazing things. Like this prompt is about how you think. So I say, okay, make a visual map of your brain. But there's a format part to this where I say, okay, make the sculpture, which is on the right-hand side. You just make whatever, any sculpture. And then you make a drawing of the sculpture that then depicts your thought process. I mean, this is a complicated prompt, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yes, there are multiple levels and multiple art pieces produced from this prompt. <laughs> and then this is also one of my favorite prompts. It's called Six Levels of Pain. And you never know where these ideas are gonna come from because I got it from this chart. I was sitting in the doctor's <laughs> office and I looked at this chart and I'm like, why would anybody use this to express how they feel? I just seems so <laughs> ludicrous. So I said to the students, okay, here's the chart, go reinterpret what that means. And so this is brilliant. This is Alex Kiesling who has been on streams before talk about freelance illustration. He interpreted it six levels of pain through corporate companies. Like, do you see Mark Zuckerberg up there? Oh my gosh, I see ah. it. <laughs> and then this one was about a student who I think had moved to Vancouver and a lot of the challenges that she had moving mm. to a foreign country. It was a totally different kind of quote pain. But I think as the prompts become more complicated, they also become so engaging. I mean, it's so much fun to see what people do with them. This Google Slideshow is available. The link is in the YouTube video description below. And remember, you can access all of our slideshows. The links are available on artprof.org. Artprof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And in a few minutes, Kat and I will be hanging out in the Artprof Discord. We will be in the post live streams channel. I know there are a lot of questions we didn't have an opportunity to get to today. And a big thank you to our top Patreon supporters. We've got Lori Johnston, who just recently joined this group of Patreon supporters. It's inching up, 4125, trying to hit that $6,000 Patreon goal so I can sleep at night. So everybody, thank you so much for your support and for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.